Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Port Gore Bay in the Marlborough Sounds is a beautiful place from the shore. But head out onto the water, even just a wee way, and you can see another side. The water's deep, it's cold, and it's not exactly crystal clear at all. Because of the turbulence of the Cook Strait, um, the, the water is never really clear. This is Derek Grzelski. He's a writer, a filmmaker, and he's a terrific diver, which is why we're talking to him today. So there's always sediment, there's always um, kind of, you know, it, it's, the visibility is very low. It's a fairly bleak place. Only the very good and the very brave dive here, clutching a rope that leads them down through the depths to what seems like the bottom of the bay. And then you realise this is actually the side of the ship. That ship is the Mikhail Lermontov, once the pride of the Soviet Union's fleet of cruise ships. Very few people get to see it now, and even then, they don't get to see much of it. Because the visibility is so low, it, everything just kind of recedes into the gloom. And so and you, you kind of have to realise, you know, that you're looking at part of something that is like a 55-storey building lying on its side on the bottom of the ocean. You're in this sort of void because, you know, everything just recedes into the darkness and you're really in this dome of what you can see. And beyond, you know, outside of that, it's all just darkness. It's an eerie, uncanny sensation. It's basically, you know, the stuff of your nightmares. But what's a Soviet ship doing lying on the bottom of the Marlborough Sounds? Well, it's a funny old tale, and it doesn't have a happy ending, or even really an ending at all. I'm Justin Gregory, this is Eyewitness, and here's the story of the sinking of the Mikhail Lermontov and the strange stuff that followed. What happened? And why are so many people convinced that there was a cover-up? Namihi Mayoha. <laughs> The port town of Picton has seen a lot of ships, but not many like the Mikhail Lermontov. At 150 metres long and 12 decks high, she was way bigger than anything else around her when she docked in the early hours of Saturday the 15th of February 1986. Under Captain Vladislav Vorobyov, this elegant white cruise ship had crossed the Tasman from Sydney with more than 700 passengers and crew on board for what the advertising claimed would be the experience of a lifetime. They'd visited Auckland, Tauranga and Wellington and were sailing to Milford Sound before heading home. The pilot who'd guided her into Picton would later take her out again, local harbour master Captain Don Jamison, a man with decades of experience in these waters. At three that afternoon, the Lumentov left Picton. Both captain and pilot agree that some sightseeing is in order for the passengers. And of course, their taking runs pretty close to land, so everyone can get a good, up-close view of the scenery of the sounds. 
At 4.30pm, Captain Vorobiov goes below, leaving two senior officers, a helmsman, a lookout and Don Jamison on the bridge. An hour later, the Lermontov is at top speed as she steams towards the top of Cape Jackson. Ignoring the pre-plotted course, Jamison orders the helmsman to make a left-hand turn through the passage between the point and the lighthouse. The gap isn't huge, the water is rough and shallow, and there's big rocks under the surface. 5.37pm. Impact. The ship hits rocks and rips three holes in her side, each 25 metres long. The noise can be heard eight kilometres away on shore. Captain Vorobiov races to the bridge and the general alarm is sounded, causing watertight doors to close and pumps to start working. It won't be enough. Water rushes into the Lermontov at an incredible rate and the ship starts to list. Captain Vorobiov heads for Port Gore a few kilometres away. If he can beach the Lermontov, she could still be saved and everyone should get off safely. Not everyone will, though. 33-year-old engineer Pavel Zagliadimov was at his post when the ship hit the rocks and presumably drowned soon after. His body has never been found. 6pm, a request for help goes out. Nearby ships and boats race to the Lermontov as she limps towards the beach. Water rushes into her engine room, short-circuiting the engines and the electricity. The ship is now powerless and unsteerable. She grounds briefly in shallow water near Port Gore, but strong southerly winds blow her back out to sea. 8.30pm, in total darkness, high winds and driving rain. With the Lermontov nearly on its side, the passengers and crew begin to abandon ship. For two hours, heroic risks are taken to save the mostly older passengers who have to jump from a small door in the hull down into rescuers' arms. At 10.50pm, less than eight hours after leaving Picton, the Mikhail Lermitov disappears beneath the sea. All passengers and crew, bar one, are alive and safe. It's a bloody miracle. What happens next is a bit of a bloody mess. Richard Preble doesn't remember where he was when he first heard about the sinking. In 1986, he was transport minister in the fourth Labour government, and shipping was part of his portfolio, but he didn't know very much about the Lermontov. No, I'd never heard of it. Uh, and the fact that cruise ships went up and down that particular, the Marlborough Sound, uh, no, I was totally unaware of that fact. But quite quickly, Preble was aware of a few other things. Within a day, basically all the facts about the Mikhail Lermontov thinking were, were known. Mr Jamison, who'd been the uh, uh, the pilot, he most certainly did give a full account of, of what had happened. Our officials actually were able to talk to the, uh, at least some of the, of, of the Russian uh, officers, and all of the accounts, what's the word I'm looking for? Lined up. Lined up. A brief preliminary inquiry, just a week long, is held, and by the 6th of March 1986, the results are in, as RNZ reports. The man who headed the Ministry of Transport's preliminary inquiry into the sinking, Captain Steve Ponsford, said in his report to the government that Captain Don Jameson's decision to change course was the main factor in the February sinking. Captain Ponsford said then that the Picton pilot was the only person who'd know why the sudden decision had been made. Captain Jameson has surrendered his pilot's licence and has made no public statement since the ship went down. And he never does. This is where and why the story gets a bit odd. What happened was clear, but why? Why did Don Jamison take the Lermitov through that shallow, narrow passage? He tells the preliminary inquiry that he doesn't know why. Captain Ponsford can't say either. It's not his job, he says, and he's not a psychologist. In fact, he won't even give out basic details of the sinking. 
This is RNZ's morning report from 1986. Statements given at a preliminary inquiry are confidential to those giving the statements uh, and confidential to the Minister of Transport and the Ministry. Could you say now where the ship exactly hit? I know exactly where the ship hit. Are you able to tell us? I don't think that would be fair uh, to ask me that until the report is made public or until the formal investigation is uh, announced. But a formal investigation never was announced and Don Jamison was never prosecuted because of a gap in our law. Believe it or not, a New Zealander piloting a foreign ship in our waters couldn't then be prosecuted for its loss. It was the first real sign that getting to the bottom of it all was going to be nearly impossible. Very clear that our legal power to ourselves hold an inquiry with regard to a Russian ship was extremely limited. We had no power to hold anybody. We had no power to um, even question uh, um, the members of the Russian ship. And it was made fairly clear to us, and you've got to understand the Cold War still going on at the time, that there was no way that the Russians were ever going to submit to a New Zealand inquiry. We weren't in a very strong moral position. I mean, after all, we'd sunk their ship. Um, and if they didn't want us to hold an inquiry, uh, what possible argument could we bring to say that we, that we should? A year later, there was more frustration. This is Checkpoint from 1987. The preliminary inquiry into the sinking of the Mikhail Lermontov has been published with an assurance from Transport Minister Richard Preble that it doesn't reveal why the ship's pilot took the ship through the narrow Cape Jackson passage. Mr Pribble says that even Captain Jameson can't answer why he took the Soviet liner, bearing 737 passengers, into the dangerous shallows. And a year after calling for a full inquiry into the sinking, opposition transport spokesman Winston Peters still claims a systematic cover-up has taken place. The Russians held an inquiry, but they didn't let us very near it. They blamed Don Jameson, but they couldn't punish him, so they turned on their own people. Captain Vorobyov got a four-year suspended sentence and commanded a desk instead of a ship for a very long time. His two senior officers each served four years in a Russian jail. But the Russians also couldn't answer the question of why. And when there's an information gap, people rush to fill it. Some claim the Lermitov was a spy ship with KGB officers in the crew, which there probably would have been. There were sensitive materials on board, a Russian sub was nearby when she went down, and so on and so on. But mostly, they asked... Why no inquiry? A ship sank. A man died. The Dominion was ex- newspaper was extremely annoyed with me that I wasn't prepared to hold an inquiry. News media loves inquiries. You can report everything that happens in an inquiry. You don't have to worry about the law of defamation. And it's easy reporting. And there's always a great deal of public interest uh, in accidents. I explained to them once why I couldn't, and after that I frankly couldn't be, um, I couldn't be blowed. Uh, I think that inquiries uh, are usually a complete waste of time. And I'm rather proud of the fact that when I was Minister of Transport, I never held any inquiries into anything, including the Mikhail Lumitov. OK. Richard Preble also cheerfully admits to withholding some documents on the grounds that the information in them is available elsewhere and the journalist asking for them annoyed him. He says there was no cover-up, just reality mixed with a little politics. And there's a few other facts around the day of the sinking to consider that came out in the government's week-long inquiry shortly after the sinking. 1. 
Captain Don Jamison was a tired man. He was Picton Harbour Master, an acting general manager and chief pilot, and claimed to work on average about 80 hours a week. Two, Jamison had attended a reception that day with a Lermontov crew and had drunk two vodkas and a beer. He'd also drunk alcohol the day before. And three, he'd done this run many, many times, and as soon as the ship was past Cape Jackson, his job was over for a bit. He was owed 15 weeks' leave and was planning to cash some of that in once he'd got the ship safely out of Milford Sound. Fourth, and finally, not long into the journey, Jamison had slipped and fallen on deck and suffered a sore neck and a back. Was he also maybe concussed? Dunno. So, fatigue, alcohol, possible injury, maybe showing off a bit, maybe being in his own mind already half on holiday. Well, stuff can happen. And sometimes people just make really, really, really bad decisions because they're human and that's what we occasionally do. The only one who can tell us is Don Jamison, and he isn't talking. But you shouldn't assume from that that he doesn't feel bad about the accident. Once he had realised what he had done, they, they apparently had to assist him off, off the bridge. He was completely traumatised. And there's one last really good rumour out there. Minders from the Soviet embassy in Wellington had formed a tight scrum around Captain Vorobyov in the days after the sinking. And in the TV video footage, there's a guy who resembles everyone's favourite former KGB officer, President Vladimir Putin. When the footage resurfaced in the 2000s, rumours flew that Putin must have been stationed in Wellington during the 80s, and everyone asked, what did this mean, and yada, yada, yada. And the guy does look quite a lot like Putin. You can look for yourself in a documentary called Destination Disaster on the New Zealand On Air website. But, you know, probably isn't him. 20 years after the sinking, Richard Preble wrote to the Russian authorities, offering to hold a full inquiry to really sort it all out. They said, yet. Three decades later, the Mikhail Lumatov is a diving site and has claimed three more lives. Don Jamison got his pilot's licence back and worked Cook Strait until he retired. I asked him if he'd like to be interviewed for this story, and he very politely said no. This story was produced by me, Justin Gregory, using archival audio from the Taonga Sound and Vision, and also from the documentary Destination Disaster by Ninox Television. The engineers were Jana Witter and Alex Aylett McMillan. You can subscribe to every Eyewitness podcast at iTunes or at radionz.co.nz forward slash series. And while you're there, please rate us. That way more people get to hear about Eyewitness. And if you have stories you want us to tell, you can email us at eyewitness, that's E-Y-E, witness, at radionz.co.nz. Noho ora mai. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.